Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. If you guys are with me, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 33 to 41. We're going to be covering learning from Jesus, the back to school, the classroom of life. And if you guys would, read with me now. And again, he began to, oh, that is not 33. All right, verse 33. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do want to first praise you for who you are and what you're doing, what you're doing uh, in this church, what you're doing in us. And Lord, we humbly come before you and just simply ask that your word go forth, that anything that I have prepared or anything that I'm going to say, that it is ultimately from you. Lord, we ask that uh, you bless this time of fellowship that we'll have with one another. Um, Lord, we ask that you open our ears and our hearts just to hear your word and what you have to say um, to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the one question I'm going to throw out there in the beginning, and I want you guys to think about it throughout this uh, teaching, is why did Jesus spend so much time teaching? Why did Jesus spend so much time teaching? Jesus is directly um, addressed in the gospel messages about 90 times. And of those 90 times, he's addressed 60 times as teacher or rabbi. So this is something that kind of defines who Jesus was. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. If you look with me at John chapter 3, verse 2, um, you're going to see uh, a perfect example of this. This man came to Jesus by the night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. For no one can do these signs that you, have, that you do unless God is with him. And then I also want to look at John chapter 13, verse 13. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and, say, and you say, well, for so I am. So we have Jesus describing himself as a teacher. We have multiple times where people are addressing him as teacher. And the thing that I want us to think about is if Jesus has dedicated so much of his time to teaching, it would do us right if we learn. So if Jesus has dedicated so much of his time to teaching, it would do us right to learn. Now, there's two different types of learning that I'm going to uh, address today, and I'm going to go with that now so that you guys can be prepared to take notes later. But the first 
type is called traditional learning. Traditional learning is the style of teaching that we must be uh, probably most acquainted to. When you're in a classroom, when you have teachers that are before you, when you have lectures that are being taught, um, when you have manuals, um, books that you go through, videos, and it's the style that's built around a classroom. So there's the traditional style of learning, and then there's the second style, which is experiential learning. Now, experiential learning is when you're taking out of that traditional learning environment of a classroom, and you're immersed into an environment in which your skills are going to be forced to show what you've learned in the traditional learning. Now, one of the things that we're going to realize is that both of these types of learning, they go hand in hand. They perfectly complement each other. Um, perfect example. Um, my wife and I were going to get married years and years ago, and we went to premarital. And in our premarital class, we learned how to talk to each other, what our roles were with love and uh, respect and responsibility. And we learned all these different things. And we read a book. And we had a pastor that sat down with us multiple times to teach us, oh, and this is how, what you do if conflict comes up. And this is what you do if, if she's a little aggravated and, and you're feeling it and you're stressed out. And this is how she should act. And this is how she should respect you. And this is ultimately how you should love her. And prior to getting married, I was like, got it. Read the book, did the whole pastor teaching thing, understand it completely, and then we got married. And it wasn't even like, you know, there's like the honeymoon stage. Well, we got in a fight on our honeymoon. <laughs> so it was right from the beginning. And uh, when I was leading up to this and I'm thinking like, uh, like, you know, what about learning? What do I have to understand between traditional learning and uh, experiential learning? So I looked at my wife and I said, hey, what did you have to learn from me being married to me that you didn't know prior to us getting married. So the first thing that we came up with um, was probably, a, probably the week that we got home from our honeymoon. I looked at my wife and I said, hey, I'm going spearfishing with a couple of friends. Um, we're just going to go out in the morning, shoot a couple of fish, grab a couple of lobster. I'll be back in a couple hours. Um, we're going up at sunup, so a couple hours, probably around 9, 9.30, I'll be home for breakfast. Right. Well. Um, Four o'clock came around, <laughs> and I just walked in, and, uh, and little did I know that my wife had thought I, the worst. Like, he got eaten by a shark, a boat ran him over, he's, he's gone forever, what do I do? She had called my parents, hey, is this normal, what's going on? I, he said he was going to be back for breakfast, it's now almost dinner time, he's gone. She completely freaking out, okay? So she learned that she thought that she could take my word for what it was, and she learned that when it came to hunting or fishing, that my word means absolutely nothing. And it wasn't just like that one time, like right when we got married. It happened all throughout our marriage. It happened not too long ago. Um, it happened probably a week ago. Um, yeah, it was probably a week ago today. It happened again. And uh, I mean, it happened on my son's birthday. Um, we had a birthday party planned at my house. Um, for lunch, like a little, like a two o'clock lunch, like a, with like not just like a couple like friends and family. It was a big birthday party at our house, and I had one role and responsibility, and was to make sure that I cooked all the meat for two o'clock. So when everyone showed up, all the meat was ready, and I was supposed to smoke um, uh, beef tenderloin and then sear it. It was going to be absolutely gorgeous, and uh, I had a duck hunt that morning, 
And so what I ended up doing was it, was, it was New Year's Day. My son was born on January 1st. So we went our New Year's night party. I got home at uh, like 2 o'clock, went to bed, woke up at 3, went on my hunt, and I figured I'll shoot all my ducks by 9 o'clock, and I'll be heading back. Perfect time to throw the meat on, get everything going. And uh, after we got off the normal road and we start going down dirt roads and levees and the dirt and everything, I ran over a massive like flint rock that put a hole in my tire like this big. And this was like right when I got my new truck and we had aftermarket tires and stuff on it. And, uh, and so we, I was like, I looked down and I was like, ah, oh, it's just a flat, like we'll take care of it after we get done hunting. So we went, we finished hunting. It was a little bit later than I was expecting, but it was okay. So I, I lowered the spare down and I go to take off the, pumped up the truck and I realized that uh, I didn't have the key to take my wheel off to put the spare on. And uh, so luckily, me, who's done many flats before, I had all of my tire plugs in there. So I wrapped six tire plugs together, <laughs> shoved it into the tire, pumped up my tire, and I drove like five miles per hour just to get like off the levees into the road. And when I got back to the road, I looked at the tire and I was like, ah, oh, this could definitely make it home. And so I drove an hour and a half home on that tire on the highway going like, probably like 55, got home and the tire was completely flat again, but I got home and I happened to be cooking all the meat um, as everybody was at my house and I was still fully face painted uh, in camo and, and ready for the party. Um, the meat got done just a little bit later than was expected. But the idea is that my wife like knew that who I was and she could take my word. But it wasn't until she experienced what it was like when Russ goes fishing or hunting that she really began to know who I was. And so now she adds on six hours to any time that I give her when I'm going to be home when it comes to those two things. But that, there's some things that you, you can learn from a traditional environment, but then there's things that you think you might know that you don't actually know until you're actually doing it. And that's where the experiential learning comes in. So we have those two types of learning. And then we have, I'm going to throw out there, a way that Jesus wants us to learn. So the idea is that when we learn, we add new skills or we add new knowledge um, to what we already know. So you already know something, and then when you are learning something new or something deeper, you're just adding those new skills or knowledge to something that you already know. Jesus throws all that away, and he says, I want you to unlearn what you have learned. So what does it mean to unlearn? Um, it's to step outside of our earthly learning in order to learn a godly learning. We see this um, when Andrew taught through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it said before, but I say to you. He's introducing a different type of learning where you are going to unlearn the things that you already know in order to learn what God really wants you to know. Now, the hardest thing about that is it's not easy to unlearn mental habits that you've established over years in time. It's a very impossible thing to uh, unlearn something that you already have learned. I can remember when I lived in the Bahamas for a couple of years, they drive on the other side of the road. And so you gotta better believe it, if it's early in the morning and I'm driving somewhere, I'm tired, I'm driving in the Bahamas on the wrong side of the road because I'm so used to just driving on the right side of the road and it's not until headlights start coming at me then I realize, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's something you have to relearn. You have to, you have to understand that it's different. Now, the best illustration for this is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So do not be conformed to this world. Do not look at what the world is looking at, but I'm going to present a different way that's going to require you to renew your mind in order to understand, to comprehend, and then to carry that out. That's what it means to unlearn, that we step outside our earthly learning in order to choose a godly learning. So, now we can get back into number one. Traditional learning. Traditional learning. Now, traditional learning is, as I said before, it's going to be that classroom setting. Um, I said earlier, before I got started, that I'm not a big traditional learning guy. My first stint at college, I didn't make it through the first semester before they politely asked me not to come back for another semester. So that, that sets you up for the type of person that I am when it comes to traditional learning. I am not good at reading. It is absolutely terrifying for me to come up here and read out loud to you guys. <laughs> um, I never did well in school. Um, luckily, in my high school, it was kind of like the backwards high school you see on TV, where if you were good at sports, then you got good grades, no matter how bad you were in the actual classroom. So I got through school that way. And, uh, but I am not one to study. I am not one to. to uh, um, I don't even think I made it my senior year through an entire day of school without leaving early or showing up extremely late. So that gives you an idea of where I stand on traditional learning. Um, but there are times where traditional learning is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Have you ever tried to set up something from IKEA without having the manual to do it? No, it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Um, I'm going to show you guys. Uh, Mike, can you throw up that picture? All right, this is me many, many, many years ago, um, back when I had long flowing hair and uh, a little tighter body. And I'm not talking about this guy over here. I'm talking about this guy. Um, this is actually, I think, the time period when my wife fell in love with me. So I think it was the cowboy boots. And uh, I, think that's what it, I think that's what it sold. So all you single guys, throw on a pair of cowboy boots, and you're good to go. Um, but this is a time. Um, not particularly in this picture. I was actually sitting in a class. This is a famous, uh, I don't know, they call it a whip artist. I don't know, I made that up. Uh, he was famous on whips. He was in a bunch of old-time Western movies. Um, he, could, he could hit a fly off a piece of a watermelon without a drop of the watermelon spraying anywhere. Uh, I believe it was John Wayne, uh, the movies that he was in, but I don't want to quote, don't quote me on that because uh, his name's J.R. Um, don't quote me on that because John Wayne's the only like old Western movie that I can like think of in my head, so it automatically goes to John Wayne. Um, but here he's teaching me. I sat in like a little chair. He taught me how, taught me like the ways to do a whip. And then this is me right after me hiding my pain. But I actually tried it and whipped my back and drew blood. Um, <laughs> but just prior to this picture is what I want to talk about with traditional learning. Have you ever had that moment where someone talked you through? what you were getting ready to do? Or have you ever been in a scenario where you wish somebody talked you through what you were getting ready to do? And that, that's what happened prior to this photo. We were um, taking bowls and turning them into steers. If you don't know what that means, you can go look it up. I'm not going to describe all the details there. But basically, we had taken a whole bunch of calf bowls and got them from the main pasture into a pen. And our goal was to put them through a runner, which is like a, like almost imagine like a hallway, um, where they would then one by one um, get snipped and uh, vitamins added to them, and then they would be uh, released. And 
me not being a cowboy, I grew up on a, uh, a farm in the summers by fed cows, but I never actually did the work of being a cowboy. The cowboys, there were true cowboys that rode on cowboys. They thought it'd be funny to throw me in as the position of the runner. And so my job was once the, the calves went into um, the pen, they would then go down the runner, which is like the little hallway, and then there'd be someone that would stand behind all of them in the big, nice, long line to make sure they didn't come out. And so I thought, oh, it's you know, very, very simple, just stand behind them, and, uh, and that was it. They didn't tell me, they said, hey, just stand behind them, make sure they don't, they don't come out. And I was like, okay, no problem, I got this. And, you know, you're with a bunch of like macho cowboys, like you have to like put on that like you're this macho guy too. And so I was like, oh yeah, no, no problem, no problem. So I get there and I'm just standing behind them like this, just relaxing, like trying to be cool, and uh, I got it. And all of a sudden, the back one starts turning his head. And the cowboys yell, it's turning! It's turning, you're gonna get stompled. And so the idea is that if they turn, they can actually turn around and then they all turn around and then they just get like stampeded over. And so they're like, you know, get your leg up there. So I'm like, I, now I have my leg like in like between the cow's butt legs and everything. And he's like, that's not enough, that's not enough. And I turn into like crazy UFC fighter and I'm like dropping elbows into the cow's head, <laughs> trying to get it to turn around. Uh, and it's, it's still coming at me. There's like nothing I can do. And I'm getting like slammed against the walls. All the cowboys are like absolutely dying. And I mean, it, it got worse. I'm not gonna go how far it got worse, but it got worse. And uh, the moral of the story is, I wish they would have told me what I was supposed to do prior to doing it. I wish I had that traditional learning where I didn't have to, you can take this picture away because it's just making me embarrassed. Um, <laughs> I wish I had that traditional learning where someone told me basic instructions in order what to do. Now, this traditional learning, I'm going to pose a different way that we know this traditional learning to be into the way that Jesus wants us to understand this traditional learning. And Mike, if you throw it up there, traditional learning. Here's the definition that I want you guys to look at it as, to become intimately familiar with his words. That's what Jesus wants us to be able to do. This traditional learning is to become intimately familiar with his words. You have to understand that the starting point of learning is to know his words. Why? Because they're important. The words of Jesus are important. So he even says, my words are spirit and life. That's how important these words are. So the traditional learning is to become intimately familiar with his words. Now, let's look at verses 33 and 34 before we get going. And it says, um, And with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So let me give you a little backstory of what's happening in Mark um, prior to verse 33, Jesus had just taught through six different parables. So it's Jesus speaking his words on uh, stories that are easily able to be understood to people at that time um, so that we might understand it. And now we've come to a point where he just taught through the six parables and he had a desire for his disciples um, to understand a little bit better. And so now it's just him and his disciples and he's going to explain a little bit more to them. He wants them to learn from the best teacher that there was. And so he's going to take time and invest into them his words, because his words are something that we need to become intimately familiar with. Now, my question to you is, how do we get to the point of us personally being more familiar 
with his words. Practically, let's take a look at this. Um, the first way, we're going to look at three different ways um, how to get to being more familiar with his words. The first one is to prepare. You need to prepare your heart and have a plan. It's Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. Mike, if you throw that up there for me. It says, Now the great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. We don't want to be that man. And so the idea here is that we have to prepare. How do we prepare? Well, there's a bunch of different ways that we prepare. Um, Mike, if you throw up the next slide, the first way that we prepare is church. Church. You guys are all here today, so you guys are already there. But in church, what are your actions like? Are you taking notes? Are you paying attention? Are you going to take it what you're hearing and going to live it out throughout the week? It's not just church, but are you doing devotions, your devos? Are they regular? Are they every single day? Um, your commentary. I came to a point where my devos were great and I was reading the word every single day and there's some days where I would just read the word and it's like, oh, God, what are you trying to say? I don't even understand. Like, what's going on? So I incorporated a commentary into there. There's a, there's a commentary that I absolutely love and would suggest. It's called Enduring Word. Um, by David Guzik. The, if you guys were a part of my community group, you know that I always use David Guzik. I absolutely love him. A Calvary um, pastor that went through the entire Bible and explains it in a way that I can understand. So to me, that's what I absolutely love about him. Um, but it's not just your church and your devos and the commentary, but there's also books that can help you understand more about um, God. I realized that a part in my life um, um, what I'm going through right now, and there's a couple other guys that I'm going through it with, is that I've been having a hard time. I'm nine years into marriage. I think nine years into marriage, and I'm realizing that I need to be a husband that leads my wife better. And so I found a Christian book that actually is called um, You're the Husband. <laughs> and so it's the idea is it's, it's called the You're the Husband, a blueprint for leading and marriage. So that's something that I'm taking on. I, I, I have a desire to see what God wants me to do inside my marriage, and now I'm reading more about it so that I can be a better husband to my wife. Um, not only is it, is it your church and your devos and your commentary and your books, are you memorizing scripture? Are you memorizing scripture? The, um, Psalm 119 um, says that your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is scripture memory something that, uh, that you are pushing yourself to do. It's something that I definitely am not pushing myself to do, and I probably need to do a better job at it. Um, but it's going to, hiding his word in our heart is going to uh, cause us to sin less because it's just me constantly there. Um, here's another way that I found that is great for me to prepare. Um, podcast. I drive most days to the office and drive home, and I'm listening to garbage radio. And uh, I realized that why don't I take um, the time to listen to a godly podcast and make the most of my time um, in the car when I'm not doing anything. And so how do we get to the point of being more familiar with his words? The first way is that we need to prepare. We need to make a plan. We need to have it ready. We need to um, 
figure out what's going to work best for us. We need to figure out what we're doing that we're, or what we're not doing that we should be doing and add that into our life. Um, it's not just prepare, but the second one is, is to purpose. And purpose, I'm gonna tell you, is that we need a purpose to be with God. And once you're with God and you're spending time with him, your purpose is going to come out of that. And what should really come out of that is the goal that's going to fuel you for all of your motivation. And so you can't just prepare and have something that you're doing. You have to understand why and something that's going to motivate you to keep doing. And that's what purpose is. You need to dedicate yourself to it. It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. We see um, what Paul says. He says, And yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, and the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul knew what his purpose was. He knew that he wasn't there, and he knew that he had to continue to press forward. And uh, we need to have purpose. So we need to prepare our hearts. We need to have purpose. And the third thing that we need to take on um, is practice. Practice takes discipline. Um, we need to carry out what we've already prepared with purpose. We need to actually do it. Um, Paul, in the continuing verses um, of Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 16, he says this, Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which is Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There, therefore, let us, as many are as mature, have this mind. And if you... And if... And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And that, that same mindset is that I have not already attained or perfected, but I press on. That's what practice is. You can't just practice till you get to a point and then you're good. If you look at any professional athlete or anybody that is at the top level of anything that they do, they don't just stop there and then they cut all their training and don't do anything. They continue to practice and they practice harder than they did the day before in order to get better. We have to look at our lives as if we truly want to become intimately familiar with his words, it's something that we can never stop doing. We have to continue to press. We have to continue to, to not think that I've already attained. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is the more you read it, the more you realize what you don't know. And so there is a need to continue to press on, to recognize that, that you cannot attain um, a level where you can just stop and say, I'm good to go. And this is Paul towards the end of his ministry when he's speaking and he says, listen, I have not even attained. The person that's studied more than most anybody out there, I'm not there yet. I still need to press on for the upward call. 
It's practice. So if you want to be great at anything, you need to continue to practice. You can never stop. You can never give in, and you can never take time to relax. Traditional learning, becoming intimately familiar with your words, it starts with us preparing, then it goes with us figuring out our purpose, and then it goes with us in order to practice. Now, the second type of learning that we were discussing is experiential learning. There's some things that you can only learn by putting yourself in that situation. You might have all of the head knowledge of traditional learning, but that can all go away quickly once you're actually experiencing that. Um, it was my wife and I bought our first house, and I'll never forget, we were so excited to buy our first house. And we knew that when we bought our house that, that if something went wrong in the house, we were responsible for it. We no longer could call the landlord or call the person that owned the property to come get it taken care of, fixed, and everything like that. That's just like a thought that, oh, yeah, everyone knows that. It's your house now. You take care of it. That didn't like actually make sense and click until the first problem happened. And so it was like we were like three days into our house. We bought our house not realizing that we had to buy furniture too. So we had an empty house for like a week. Thank God we had an empty house for like a week because we were saving up to buy furniture. Um, but my wife came home with a cat after the second day of owning a house because we couldn't have a pet when, the, when we were renting. And so now she came home with a cat and it's like a little kitten, like a little cute little thing. And, uh, and we hear squeaking and it was tossing up a mouse and like playing around with the mouse. Little did we know our house was like completely infested with mice. So that was the first thing that popped up. <laughs> our house was infested. We had to hire an exterminator, come get everything taken care of, get removed. Insulation had to get fixed that they were living in and bedding in the whole nine yards. It was a terrible experience. But it didn't end there. About a couple more weeks into it, we realized that everything in our shower had backed up the pipes and so everything from the toilet was now in the shower and we had to figure out what was going on so I you know called Roto-Rooter they came in here and tried snaking our lines and they they kept on getting stuck and stuck and stuck and they're they're ripping out the snake and all you see is like uh, wood and we had this massive gorgeous like oak tree in the front of our house I used to live in New Jersey so we had this massive oak tree in front of our house well the ro the roots had grown completely into our pipes and, uh, and filled it to a point um, that the Roto-Rooter guy could not snake them out and drill them out. And he threw a camera down there and he's like, yeah, there's nothing you can do but replace all of your lines. And so I was like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll get a quote for that. The guy comes over, he's like, 15 grand. I was like, what? I just bought the house. I don't even have furniture. I can't afford, you know, 15 grand. So I, you know, I, I did it myself. I, uh, I went out there and uh, with a shovel and I dug eight feet down and dug my, my square perimeter. It took me about 16 hours um, to dig and, uh, and a couple chiropractor bills later. Um, cut my lines, replaced the lines myself. Thank you, YouTube, for that traditional learning. <laughs> Figured all that out, um, filled it all back in after a couple days of working and got it done and uh, we were good. You know, new homeowners not recognizing or understanding what it meant to actually have to pay the bills. Well, it was uh, not too long after that. We had a freezing cold day, and our pipes froze, and they burst. 
And we had a crawl space that was probably this high off the ground. And so I called one of the guys from our church who was a plumber. And I said, hey, I think, you know, there's a problem where our, you know, our water is not working. And little did I know that the water was just pouring out of our pipes into that crawl space. And so he went to get down into the crawl space. And he couldn't because we had like 18 inches of frozen ice that you could like ice skate across. And so he cut our water off and he's like, yeah, it's going to be about a week before this thaws out because I think we're going to have some warm weather next week. And uh, imagine telling your wife like, hey, you're from Florida. You never lived in the Northeast. And now we're not going to have hot water. So the only solution to this is we're going to boil some water on the stove. And when you need to take a shower, you're going to stand in the bathtub and, and splash some of that warm water. No, it doesn't go over well. So we had to replace all of our lines. And uh, at the same time, our hot water heater broke, of course. It caused like a major malfunction. We had to buy a whole new hot water heater. But we had no idea what we were getting into buying a house. We knew we were responsible, but it wasn't until we were in experiencing it um, that we actually understood what it meant to own a house. There's some things that you only can learn through experiencing them. Now, Jesus is going to explain this experimental learning in a different way than what we had traditionally talked about living it out. And Mike, if you go to the next slide. Experiential learning is intimately being familiar with his ways. Intimately familiar with his ways. You see, it's in verse 35, if you guys go back to me. It says, on the same day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats with them. They took him as he was. We have to understand that experiential learning is intimately being familiar with his ways. We have to take Jesus as he is, or as he was, not as the Jesus that we wish him to be, not as the Jesus we wish things that he could do for us, not as the Jesus that people explain Jesus as, we have to simply take him for who he is at face value. The only way to do that is through the word. Now, as we understand um, who he is and who he was, um, that's the first step of becoming intimately familiar with his ways. Now, what we just read through earlier about this little section is a familiar story that we all know where Jesus is asleep um, at the stern of the boat and the disciples wake him up thinking that they're going to die. So if we intimately want to be familiar in his ways, that means that we have to go through storms, trials, and experiences to truly understand what that looks like. It will make us familiar with his ways when we experience different things. Now, there's three things that I want to talk about um, when it comes to uh, becoming intimately familiar with his ways. And the first one is that storms teach you about God. Storms teach you about God. What do I mean? Well, as we read the story, we notice some things about Jesus, that, the, that he ultimately has complete control, power, and authority in the midst of the storm. What does it do? He rebukes the wind and it stops. He says, peace be still, and everything goes back to normal. He's in complete control, even in a situation that looks like it's completely out of control. It's Psalm 89, verses uh, 8 and 9, and it reads, 
O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule over the raging of the sea, and when its waves arise, you still them. That's who God is. You can't experience that side of God unless you're put through the storm. You're not able to see that he is ultimately in complete control and has ultimate power and authority over anything unless you put yourself in a situation where you have to experience that. It's not just that he is in complete control, power, and has all authority over the storm. He's also present in the storm. We see Jesus with the disciples on the boat. He's there. It's Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, for I am with you. He's not ever going to leave you alone. That's the amazing thing about this. The storms teach us about God, that he's ultimately in complete control, power, and has all authority over everything, and he's going to be there with you. You can always reach out to him and wake him up. But it's not just that the storms, what they teach you about God, storms also teach you about you. That's the second point. Storms teach you about God. Storms teach you about you. You see, what do we see about these disciples? What are we going to learn about them? The first thing is that they started in complete obedience, right? Jesus says, okay, we're going to cross over. So what did they do? They got in the boat and they started crossing over. They operated in complete obedience. And that's, I think that's like a lot of us, that when we're called to do something, we, we initially be like, okay, God, we got it. We're with you. We're going to get in the boat and we're going to start crossing over. And that's great. Taking that step of faith, getting into the boat, operating in complete obedience is one thing. But what happens when we come under the pressure of a challenge? Now we've taken this step and the storm starts to get a little rough. Now we have to understand who they are in the boat. A lot of them are fishermen, have, have, uh, have fished this area of the sea before, and they know that this particular area, the storms can arise from anywhere and can get rough, but we see them, as it gets rougher and rougher, they start fearing for their lives. So this is like a pretty bad storm where fishermen who've ex used to experience this are now fearing for their lives. But what comes out of them when they're under this type of pressure from this challenge? There seemed to be a cause for the fear, right? Like they're in a boat, they're in the middle of the sea, probably halfway across. They probably have another five miles at minimum to row to get to the other side. And they have this cause of fear where they feel like they're going to die. But what comes out of them? You see, there will always be cause for fear in our experiences. There will always be valid reasons for us to fear. That's true about anything. It's not necessarily wrong for us to have that human emotion of fear. The, the wrongness or the error comes in is when we stop with fear and don't let faith kick in. That's where they went wrong. Um, we start thinking in our, on, to ourselves in the midst of a trial or the midst of an experience is, is does God even care? You begin getting frustrated. You begin getting desperate. You begin to have doubt. Um, you sometimes feel alone, right? We see, we see the, the disciples wake up Jesus and they say, hey, do you even care about us? Well, 
Do you remember that there's also all these little boats, it says? It specifically says little boats around. Like, what about them? They're in a smaller boat also crossing with Jesus. But we become so consumed with ourselves that we ask God, do you even care about me? If you cared about me, how would you allow this trial to happen in my life? If you care about me, why would I have to walk through what I'm walking through? You get to a point where you're at wit's end. And there's nothing wrong with being at wit's end as long as you don't stop there. You see, storms teach you about yourself. They don't just teach you about yourself, they teach you about your faith. So storms teach you about God, storms teach you about you, and storms teach you about your faith. This idea of storms teaching you about your faith is recognizing where you're at and as far as you can go with all of your humanly power and then watching God meet you for the rest of the way to get you to the other side of the water. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did the disciples just spend all their time doing prior to this very moment? They were being taught the word of God. They were being taught through all these parables. So what ultimately should have come out of them? Not fear, it should have been faith. And so what happens? It says that they were rebuked for not having faith. You see, why were they rebuked? Because God spoke to them. Don't forget what his command is. He says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He didn't say, oh no, let's get in the boat and then halfway, let's all go die together, right? If the word of God is spoken and Jesus says, cross to the other side, guess what? They're going to make it to the other side because God's word must go forth and come to completion, but in the midst of the storm, we don't, we don't feel that. We have a lack of faith. We don't recognize that that's the end of everything. We have to change our focus from fear and the emotions of what we're going to, and we have to change them to faith, recognizing that we can only go so far in ourselves before we have to rely on God to continue. That's what it teaches us about faith, is that we need to learn how to control our emotions. When we get to the point that we don't know what to do, we need to look to him. That's one instance where the disciples had success. They probably should have done it a little bit earlier. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have had so much fear, but they ended up going to Jesus. Um, many times we feel like we failed. We've gone to this point where the experience has gone so far that we feel like we failed and now how can God even use me? And I know I've gone to that point where I feel like I've failed in different aspects of my life. And I don't even like look to God and say, oh, God, how do you want to use me? Why? Because I feel like I've failed. So how is God going to use me? I've stepped out in fear and I have not relied on him in faith. So why would God use me to be a witness to somebody? And the idea here is that, that God doesn't care that you failed. There's grace. There's mercy. What have you learned from it? Have you learned that you need to step into faith? The other thing that we have to realize is that it's not about you. When God wants to use you for a purpose, an experience, through a storm, through a trial, it's never about you. It's always about him. So it's not about what I've done wrong. It's about what is done right through him. We need to step out. Experiential learning means that we need to intimately find ourselves familiar with his ways. We see through these different teachings 
that there's the traditional learning of the side where we need to be intimately familiar with his word, where Jesus is discussing and teaching through his word with the disciples, explaining his word, and then he uses an experience to further teach upon faith. So I'm going to go back to our original question as the worship team comes out, and I want to ask you this very specific question that I asked you right from the beginning. So why did Jesus spend so much time teaching? We recognize him as the great teacher. We recognize him as somebody that has been labeled a rabbi and a teacher. But after hearing this, why did he spend so much time teaching? Why was it so important for him? The thing that I came up with is like the most basic of basic is that we need instructions because we're dumb. At the end of the day, without him telling us what to do, how to do it, where to go, and what to do, we're left up to our own earthly selves, our own sinful flesh. We will never achieve what God has intended unless we know what God has intended for our lives. You see, we need to understand that we need to be equipped in order to live a gospel-centered life. If that's our goal, we need to be told in his word what it looks like. We need to be told how we should experience that. We need to learn from these different things. We need to be taught the gospel. Every single one of us needs to hear the gospel. That's something that we need to learn. The idea that every single one of us is sinful. We've all failed in one way, shape, or form, and we've become a sinful human being. And the beautiful thing about that isn't that we got left in this sinful state. It's that God sent his only son to come to earth, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect substitute for our sin, to die on a cross, to rise three days later, to conquer death so that we might have eternal life. Every single one of us needs to learn that. Many of us have learned that, but we haven't operated or experienced that in our day-to-day lives. Hearing the gospel message and understanding it isn't just a one-time thing. It's something that we are told that we need to experience. It's something that we need to be constantly reminded of, that we are sinful, that we are in need of a Savior, that we have a Savior. That's something that that needs to be taught, needs to be learned, and needs to be continued to be learned in order to practice the things that Christ wants us to practice. You see, we need to be constantly taught how to be a community that has Christ at the center. Because if we're not constantly taught that, if we're not constantly reminded of that, it's very simple and easy for us to lose sight that Christ is at the center. Because in our sinful selves, we think of ourselves more. We think of our own pleasures and our own desires and what's easy. Having Christ at the center, it challenges us. It puts us through an experience like a storm. It puts us through all the challenges that we face every single day, and it's much easier to stay far away from that. You see, we ultimately need to be intimately familiar with his words and with his ways. That's why. Jesus spent so much time teaching. Amen.